Good morning, Mom and Dad. Hi, kiddo. Good morning, cutie. Yeah, we're outside in our trees. No, You're in, in your tree. trees? No, 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 no. We're not in the trees. We're outside watching the trees and the birds. And uh, the wind's blowing a little bit, but you can't hear the the chimes. Maybe we'll get to hear them today. Who knows? You can go get it now and just ding it no, a while. No, I'm not going to go ding it myself. I'm going to make the wind ding it. Dang it. She's one of a kind. A character. He's the Felix to her Oscar. During these turbulent times, I find a little bit of my parents' folksy wisdom to be really comforting. Welcome to OK Boomer. Wisdom from a boomer to a millennial. <laughs> oh, so we haven't recorded in a while. Um... For a while, I didn't feel it was really appropriate because, um, you know, I there there has been a big push to amplify melanated voices, and I'm a true believer in that. I think that we all need to expand our circles and listen to people who are unlike ourselves, because social media can so quickly become an echo chamber. Um, so I've been trying to be a bit quieter on my social medias, and. Now it feels like uh, an appropriate time to come back, if there is an appropriate time. I was talking about this issue on another podcast that we have about escapism and how escapism is absolutely necessary, but it also feels uh, like a moral issue, right? Because when we escape so often, we're not there to witness and help change things. So I guess, how do you find that balance of escapism versus nose to the grindstone for you? You want to go first? Well, no, I'll let you go first because oh. I have to think about it. No, you, I, I will. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of different memes, you know, that uh, about, you know, if the coronavirus hasn't, the stay-at-home orders haven't really bothered you too much, we know what your life is really like. And that's kind of me, you know, especially right now. You know, it... It was a springtime thing, and what do I do in the spring? I work in the garden, I plant things, I grow things, I take a few weeds out of my garden every now and then, take a few beans or uh, whatever. I'll have tomatoes here next week. And uh, so, you know, really it hasn't, for the most part, affected me. Now, at the very beginning, there was a long time there where, you know, we couldn't, get close to the grandkids or or Sean or Mike any of them or you and we just stayed away from each other we didn't stay away from each other I, just I in still, case you stayed away from you I still <laughs> kiss you on the forehead at night oh I know I meant uh, Erica oh yeah. well yeah we had we weren't even close to you anyway I mean that wasn't a problem we gave you virtual kisses <laughs> yeah that was fun but uh, you know we've you know Except that for that first like month and a half, when we couldn't even touch, you know, the grandkids or the kids, until we found out, you know, how safe everybody in the family was going to be, uh, everybody just kept their distance. They were all watching out for us, just like you. I think you probably told them, "You better be careful around mom and dad." Oh, everybody was. And uh, <laughs> Sean bought a so groceries. So everybody was. Yeah. <laughs> And they were Good. afraid for your dad to go to the store because he loves to go to the store. And so, but he's really, I'm very proud that he's very protective. And we wear our mask everywhere and and wash our hands and have uh, wipes in the car 
to do that. But when it first started, I I was scared, and it kind of reverted me back to being a child and being afraid because I didn't have a storm shelter. Like uh, the fallout was going to get me. I, I know it's crazy, but you kind of revert back when you have a tragedy. You turn into a child again, and I just I wanted to give you guys advice, and here we were. Uh, that's a good that's a good segue mom um tell me a little bit about that and dad if you remember that as well what was it like to live through that nuclear age of being afraid that the bomb could drop at any point mom you've told me a little bit about that can you expound on what it was like being in school i I was so afraid uh each day i was a nervous wreck you know i lived in uh Southern California, and I kept thinking, if the bomb comes today, where will I go? Uh, will I? And you know, I told you before. You know, we had these fire drills—not fire drills, but bomb drills—and the teacher would tell us to get under the desk, and we had those tests, and we would watch those old movies, which they weren't old, but you know, and they, right? They, they, <laughs> they were black and white, black and white <laughs> movies, and they'd have these kids, and the teachers said. The, the air raids would go off and we'd all go under a desk and I'd always say this is not going to really help when the big one comes so we were always afraid because we just we heard about the war and we heard about Hiroshima and I kept thinking maybe they could drop a bomb on us so every day I was just a nervous wreck maybe that's why I grew up to be a nervous adult yeah I, you know I finally figured out why they had us all get under our desk why? for those things if something did happen that way they'd know who was not there that should be accounted for because they could just count the charred embers under the desk, <laughs> you know? Charred are you serious embers. or are you making a no, terrible joke? A joke? Yeah, well, this is this is much later, you know, when, when, I, when we finally figured out, you know, this isn't gonna do a bit of good if there is a nuclear bomb close enough you know we're gonna we're gone <laughs> i don't yeah. care what so yeah you you start thinking well why did they have us do that and you know i'm i'm not sure i don't think the idea of doing it for the insurance companies can come about yet but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it was a similar thing you know you do something because you don't want to get sued <laughs> uh-huh. and small towns that you know uh, they would have uh, only the rich people had them though you know or the uh, the wealthy people or the people up to do in town they'd had them and uh, they'd stock them and put all this freeze-dried food in it and I thought hmm, I wonder if they'd let me in if I had to so I, I, I had to quit worrying about it because I moved so much anyway so I thought maybe you know my grandma's cellar would work when we went to Missouri and I thought, no, the cellar won't work. There's too many snakes in that. I don't want to go in there. So that's one thing we do grow up, uh, grew up. And also we grew up with those movies. Uh, a lot of alien movies. I thought either, if that's not going to get you, the aliens are going to get you. Because every week we used to see a double feature at the show of the monsters, you know. And uh, I thought, well, that's going to get us. If uh, the blob doesn't get us or <laughs> Frankenstein... <laughs> Did really people really believe in aliens more at that time than they do now? Yes. Because uh, I was watching an old Twilight Zone episode, and one of the things in it was, uh, this is the one where they're all in this cafe, and they know that one of them is an alien. Like, the theory is posited, we had seven or six people on the bus, and now there are seven here. So, one of them is going to, you know, and we found this this 
thing abandoned. It looks like a flying saucer. So one of you must be an alien. And nobody was like, aliens don't exist. It was just a conceit of that particular show that, yeah, that's reasonable. One of us is an alien. So I thought, is that just for the purposes of the show? Or was that like a, a prevailing um, belief at that time? I, I think that it's probably very similar to today, except there are a lot of other issues that people are talking about and conspiracies and different things like that, that the alien thing doesn't come up except, you know, very little. And back then, you know, we had the tabloids that the front page of virtually every one for, you know, half the year showed an alien on the front. Mm-hmm. That, uh, yeah, I, I thought maybe I would be kidnapped. Every time we moved to uh, Las Vegas in the desert, I said, this is going to be it. You know, and I look at the skies because you can see the beautiful skies in the desert. And I kept thinking, you know, maybe uh, when we lived there, uh, the alien was going to come and get me. But it didn't hurt. It didn't help that we watched all those scary movies. It was just, just a time even the 3D movies would scare the bejesus out of you. When you're, even seeing it in real life, but when it's 3D coming right at you, those aliens, you know you're a goner. Now, what's a bejesus? Well, I don't know. That's, 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 that's what my grandma used to say. Have you heard that term, Erica? Oh, I've heard bejesus. The yeah. bejesus out of you. I don't know what but, you know, what it means, I, I guess. Scared the devil out of you. I don't know. It, but it scared me because I kept thinking that was going to happen. But I don't know why we kept watching those movies. But it was a very popular time. Like, did you guys grow up? I mean, I assume that you did grow up in a in a place where, you know, you were afraid the bombs were going to hit you, and that there were very clearly good guys and bad guys, and the U.S. was the good guy. Or did you guys grow up with more of the nuanced argument that, hey, we probably do some good and some bad, and vice versa? Well, when when I was young, I can't speak for your mother here, but I'm going to say it's probably similar. Uh, up until, you know, you get in junior high or high school, uh, we just figured, you know, this old USA, USA chant was the thing that needed to be done. And, uh, you know, it, it was just that much of a patriotism thing. Uh, it was not a nationalistic patriotism, but it was patriotism. Now, I think maybe part of the reason it wasn't nationalistic is because uh, during that time, uh, the U.S. was at possibly its its greatest amount of influence worldwide, and for the most part, good influence. And mm-hmm. we didn't have every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there finding out what we were really doing either. And if they did, right. we didn't hear about it. <laughs> like the missile crisis, I didn't know. You know, I just had heard it a little bit on the news, but it, the the news wasn't. You know, we just watched it in the evening. It wasn't like it is now. Uh, breaking news. We had no breaking news. You know, and it was just uh, right in your face, like it is now. But uh, there, when we'd watch it in news, I always thought news was boring. I guess your dad probably did too, because he kind of wanted to watch the sports. But we'd sit down with our little TV and and uh, in the fifties and watch the news, and uh, and it wasn't good, especially uh, after you know what it was good in the fifties. But then after a while, when uh, the the crisis, the missile crisis in the early sixties, that's when I really started paying and watching TV a little bit. 
Did you did feel you? scared or upset by the news in a way that people do now? Did you feel like the news was trying to scare you or inform you at that time? You know, I'm so busy being a kid. I just thought my parents can worry about that because I got enough to worry about. <laughs> That's right. I'll ride my bicycle. Like up until the 60s. And that's, I think, when I first started not really doing anything, but thinking, hmm, there's some things that aren't quite right here. Like what? Well, once, you know, well, you, you wanted to talk about possibly the assassinations from the 60s. Right. And different mm. things Where like were that. you then and what did that, how did that affect you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, and what assassinations uh, are you talking Martin Luther King Jr. And um, his brother. Well, the three that I remember the most mm-hmm. JFK. were mm-hmm. John F. and Bobby and Martin Luther King. Yes. All three. And, you know, I, I didn't get it. I, you know, I didn't understand, you know, why would anybody want to do that? And that's when I first started, I guess, really thinking about and not studying, but delving a little bit deeper than what I did as a kid into what was going on. And, you know, I, I never did go along with conspiracy theories on any of those assassinations, although uh, you know, there may have been some kind of conspiracy going on that has never been brought out. I don't know. I thought there was right. for the Kennedys. I always the, thought the that. Big, the big thing is, all three of them were assassinated. Okay? That's what bothered me is that somebody kills somebody just because of their, their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought, and huge cultural icons, people who had yeah. people who had people behind them, and they were starting a movement. You know, it was uh, really strange when uh, John F. Kennedy passed, was was shot that day because I was in study hall. I mean, exactly remember I was. My brother and I were in study hall, and we heard it over the speakers, and it was uh, Walter Cronkite, and he said, "Our thirty-fifth president has been shot." And then that's all we heard, and, we, and everybody got real quiet. We were quiet in study hall anyway because we had a really strict uh, Miss Kindline teacher. <laughs> and uh, then they said, then they come back, came back on the news and, and on the speakers and said, he's dead. And everybody just went, oh. Teachers were crying. Uh, my brother looked at me, and, and we were just, it was just, it was so quiet. And we got on the bus, and we didn't have school for four days. And... Uh, during that we just watched TV the whole world it stopped the world stopped and I thought is this the end of time what's going to happen and I remember on the way home my brother said I've got to join the service I bet there's going to be a war and I'll have to join and but what bothered me is going to the uh, Ace Hardware and they were playing Christmas music and I said how dare them play Christmas music we just lost John F. Kennedy our, our, our beloved president so that was where I was, and and I didn't know what was going to happen. Of course, I had that. Maybe that's why I'm a nervous person now. <laughs> the pit in, we all had a pit in our stomach, and we watched it 24/7. We only had two channels. Actually, we could only get one. That's channel three. We watched it. And actually, in it wasn't 24/7 because television went off about 11 or 12. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. Talk about that, but I just uh, how dare you? Where were you, Eric? 
Where was I with John F. Kennedy's? Mm-hmm. I was at a coral clinic up in uh, up here in Springfield, and they announced it to us. And you know, we went ahead and finished the coral clinic. But uh, I do remember it's a quiet bus ride back home. Uh, a couple of kids had their little transistors. transistor radios, mm-hmm. and they were listening to them. And you'd have to change from station to station as you traveled <laughs> because, you know, when you start out in Springfield, by the time you got to, you know, 25, 30 miles down the road, you lost the Springfield station, so you'd have to find a different one. So, but it was, you know, it was, uh, it was just something you remember, you know? Did, and Did you, you guys know. feel like that changed oh. the course of things for in your lives or in in? the life of you know the United States as you had known it? I definitely think it it was a change for me because like I said you know that's when I started figuring out that all is not well. (laughs) No it was a loss of innocence that's why I felt and and I was so worried about Jackie because I love Jackie so much and and the Camelot you know we heard about this was Camelot everything was going to be wonderful and then when I kept seeing her in shock on the plane with her outfit still with the blood on it that made a lasting impression and every time I see a pillbox hat I think oh Jackie had a pillbox hat on you know this little round I hat remember that. <laughs> and this outfit and I kept thinking why didn't she change somebody needs to clean her up she's so she's so lost now and we just cried all the time it was just terrible everybody felt that way it didn't matter if you're Democrat or Republicans uh, well yeah, my, it did. My my grandparents for, uh, that, for raised me. They were uh, Democrats, and we watched it and we just cried, everything. And I don't know how, and they were Catholics, and I thought it was so neat they were Catholics. And to me, Camelot was destroyed that day. How about you? Well, mine. I think you maybe I said something earlier in another podcast about my family and. When I was growing up, I couldn't play with Catholic kids, uh, and so, I had so four or silly. five good friends that were Catholic, but uh, they were not going to heaven. And so, when John F. Kitty Kennedy ran, one of the main points against him for the Republican Party was he's a Catholic. Oh God! Now the Pope's going to run the world. That's what they thought. Oh, yeah. Why were they why were they afraid that the pope would run the world? Because Kennedy was a Catholic and the Catholics followed the pope, you know, every one of them did everything that the pope said to do. I didn't know that. That's what That's what they tried to tell us. And then after uh his brother was shot, I thought, who's going to be next? And I just kept worrying about Rose. I would do a lot of the reading. I saved a lot of the clippings, and they're lost through the day, so. And I saved the clippings, and I kept thinking of, of poor Rose. Poor mother, she's lost two sons now. And it was just, uh, and Grandma, you know, my, of course my grandma prayed a lot for all that. And I just kept thinking, why is this happening? You know, this it really uh, uh, bothered me. I didn't know what where I was going to go, what I was going to do. And that was in November the 22nd, 1963. I can remember that date. 
What was the next big cultural event that you remember happening that well, shook you? Let's, let's back up a little bit and go back to the early 60s. And that was the, the riots mm -hmm. for blacks to have more rights. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how mom reacted to that. I'm sure she might have, you know, known some of the people who were doing the, the protesting. Yes. But of course, where I grew up, the only thing I ever saw was what they put on television. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that what the blacks were wanting was something they deserved. But, you know, at that time, you know, kids stayed kids until they got into college. Uh, you know, we didn't really make too much difference. <laughs> but, you know, nowadays I see, I've seen so many young black people who've come out and started some of these marches here in Springfield. Great. We have, we've had yeah. a couple of different ones. And boy, I tell you what, the organization, the speaking skills, just absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they've been practicing all their life, which I'm going to bet that they have been because their parents and their parents before them taught them what was going on. And, you know. Yeah, you're right. I hope it happens in our lifetime, but... You know, like you got to be carefully, carefully taught to be prejudiced, and for so many years it's gone on, and just I just never could understand it. Let's talk a bit about um, the seventies and eighties. Um, oh I know gosh. you guys. I know you guys were busy having children and having jobs, and and dad uh, was nearly drafted. Right. Oh yeah. I don't know what year that was. Was that? That was 1969. We just got. Okay. We just got married, yeah. and uh, uh, his had his first job, and uh, he was 17. What number seven? What won the draft? Well, uh, each county had their their own lottery, and whatever your birth date was, they just drew birth dates out of the thing, and mine was 17. Which isn't very far away from one, <laughs> when you consider right. there's 364 of those suckers in there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, I just figured, well, I'm going to be drafted at some point. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if it's true or not. My understanding was that the reason that, you know, there were several reasons. I know one was, uh, you know, I was a college student and I was a teacher. Right. And number three was that it depended upon your county and, you know, how they were able to fill their quota. Because each county had a quota of number of, of uh, people for the service. And, uh, you know, it's possible that we never got up to 17, which... Or if we did, you know, the other two things that I mentioned... Uh, Help knock me back down. I don't know. A lot of people joined too in, in your community. I always says because the secretary of the draft board was I went to school with, but that wasn't it. I know. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> Small town politics. 
Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> if he would have left me, I don't know if I could have managed on my own. <laughs> oh, that's why? That's what you're saying, that he was actually put down and they, they thought, oh, no, Terry. Terry won't survive without him. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I know her wife. His wife. He, she needs him. <laughs> you know, oh, uh, what I thought was I want him to tell the story about when he had his hearing test. And, and, and that's this is funny. Well, it's, it is kind of, well, it's funny, you know, or whatever you want to call it. Anyway. Not funny, haha. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we've gone through almost everything, and then they have this little hearing test where uh, when you hear a sound, you're supposed to hit your little beeper. And after we finished it, you know, we were doing some other stuff, and they called me over and said, uh, we need to redo your hearing test. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a music teacher. I think my hearing is pretty darn good. <laughs> and so what happened was there were eight of us put in a room, and we all had to wear earphones. And before we started, we were all just talking, you know, wondering what was going on. Seven of us were in the music business. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I'm not sure, I, I still don't know for sure, you know, whether we heard overtones that other people weren't hearing, or we were able to pick up, you know, other little things that were going on. I have no idea, but seven of the eight were in the music business. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You you know those eye exams that you take when you have to just look out of one eye and it has the you're you're supposed to look in the middle and then it has the little black box that comes on uh -huh. in and out. Mm -hmm. I always am afraid that I'm extra clicking because I'm I'm so hyper vigilant and like I don't I, I want to ace everything, you know? And so I'll like be, I'll just click it. Sometimes I'll just <laughs> click it when there's probably nothing there and I always wonder if you know how that accounts for I I know what test. you're saying cuz I would do the same thing and when they would Okay, which one is the clearest? Me too. And I had uh, virtually all the time have to go back and say, let me see those again. I oh my too. God, I do it all the time. I drive them nuts, uh, I'm sure. I keep thinking I'm going to do it wrong and I'm, I'm worse off than they think I am. Or God, that, just maybe like I'm you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I was in first grade and I, I took my test with the teacher. It was multi, I think it was multiple choice, you know. And she was like, you know, if you have any questions, you can come and ask me. I'm not going to give you the answer, but I'll just make sure you understand the, the question. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to her and I said, I don't know. I don't know if it's B or if it's D because it could be B because of this, but it could be D because of this. And she goes, Erica, <laughs> your first instinct is usually the right one. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that, but I've never gotten better at it. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm always questioning if I'm doing the right thing or not. Always. Yeah. And it's now, I think it's a blessing and a curse. Did mm -hmm. did you once you got older, like junior high or high school, I know I did this in high school and I know for sure I did in college. I would go through and do my test, but any that I wasn't real sure about, I'd put a little check mark beside them. And yeah, I'd I was usually one of the first ones to finish tests. Oh, no, not So me. then I would go back and I would just go through the checkmark ones, ones that I wasn't really sure about, and analyze them a little bit more. Not me. When I saw no, the I first took a long time. 
they, I was, you three kids are always the last ones. All the teachers used to say, your three kids are the, always the last ones that turn their test in. I was the same way. Because if I saw the first one, I didn't know it. I thought, oh my God, I'm so dumb. I can't pass this test. Then I'd, get, then I'd keep going, go back. And I was always time out. I couldn't do the time test. And I think you kids were the same way. Well, this is interesting because, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I had a, a history teacher, Dr. Asher, who I absolutely still love to this day. But in, in college, it was the best test, uh, the best testing atmosphere I ever had. Because if you put the wrong answer and you got your test back, you could go back and say why you put that answer. You just have to, like, write a paragraph about it and explain. And he could accept it or not. And then I attended to ace all my exams. Um, huh. And I think... The lesson he was teaching is something that you guys obviously taught me, and I'm trying to, to kind of tie into how you analyze things that were happening to you at the time, is that very rarely is anything black and white, that there, that life is difficult because there are gray areas, and it's really hard to make a good, sound moral decision sometimes because you want to make sure you're doing the right thing. And, and ultimately, that's a, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to constantly question and not think that you know all the answers. Mm-hmm. And yes. it seems so frequently in life that the people who think they have the right answers lead so many astray. <laughs> well. well, and, you know, I don't want to get too far into this, where we are now, <laughs> but... That's that's exactly what it is, and so many people, you know, everything for them, it's either black or white, you know? What about the gray? And there's nothing in between. And, uh, you know, you know me, I've always been a tweener. Yeah. <laughs> I just. And Mom, I think you talked about being a fence rider, too. <laughs> yeah. You can't. Yeah, that was in Sunday school. Hey, I was going to tell you some more about the 70s before you guys came along. So this next section was uh, just too good to cut. Mom goes off topic. She uh, uses the wrong word, and then she tries to explain away the wrong word. With her permission, I have included it for your pleasure today. So we raised you kids in this little community of Mansfield that we couldn't have raised you if we didn't have excuses. Uh, excuses, not excuses. <laughs> That's not the word I mean. Man, we had a lot of those. I don't mean excuses. I meant, uh, um, for, uh, what do you call it? Like, we had Aunt Ethel, we had Peggy, we had We had a lot of aunts Cody. and grandmas yeah, and yeah. grandpas. Uh, we, aunts, uncles, grandmas yeah, and grandpas. Neighbors that, that we, really. yeah, that we adopted. Because, you know, Mama died excuses, early. And you meant neighbors? <laughs> I meant, I don't mean excuses. I meant, <laughs> yeah. I meant aunts and uncles. I don't know why I say excuses, excuses. I use every day. Okay, that's a song. Uh, I don't know why. It just popped. Well, I was talking to you, and all of a sudden I saw a dove. I didn't know came. how I was going to loop any of this stuff in, but now I clearly have to loop it in somehow because <laughs> what was well, that? I was, well, I was talking about that, and all of a sudden I saw a bird, another bird I can't identify, uh, fly by, and I thought of uh, aunts and uncles, and I said, excuses, I don't know what that, well, you're, I'm sorry that, did that my, help? my no. mother, my no, mother, Elsie, total clarification right there, my mother, Elsie, <laughs> but okay, so now back to our discussion about cultural milestones, I think one of the big things, for me was 
the change in music from when we were growing up into by the time you kids were in high school and, and graduated. And I think, you know, when we, you can't leave the music out when you're talking about change and the social structure and everything because so many of the things that that I remember being tied to had to do with music. Partly, yeah. I'm sure, because I was into music and partly because so many of the songs, even back then, you know, in the 60s, you know, they did the protest songs uh, and well, they were they were so much fun to sing, you know, mm -hmm. and so we we sang them, mm -hmm. yeah. not really even knowing what they were about. For instance, uh, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was Joan Baez. Help me out because I'm not good with names. Okay, I was already thinking about Jeremiah was a bullfrog, and that was in the '70s. You know, yeah, and then. Uh, the Carpenter songs, Bless the Beasts and the Children, and the ink is black. The page is white. white. Together mm -hmm. they go to see something at night. Anyway, da, 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 yeah. But they, yeah. you know, and sometimes, you know, at times I think people in their lyrics kind of cloak the meaning so that, you know, it could be taken two different ways. Mm -hmm. And come to find out later, yeah, that's they did it on purpose uh, because they didn't want to be known as protest singers per se, but they were actually making a statement. And I think that's, you know, that was typical of that generation. You know, we didn't want to come right out unless you were the protest song singers and say, well, I'm in favor of this, and why aren't we doing more about it? Dad, that's and so interesting. I, I hadn't we, thought about it, but that's how you are still today, right? Like, you, it's, it's rare that you guys will come out and just say, like, this is wrong, da-da-da-da. But you guys, will, you guys will veil it in such a way that hopefully, what, that hopefully people repeat it and, 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 and are influenced by it? Yeah, and so much of what I, I try to post myself and put out there are things that I you know I've done a lot of thought <laughs> and I've I've thought you know how can I say what I want to say without because uh, some of the places that I've worked and lived uh, you have to be a little more careful how you say things because uh, you you want to remain friends so that you can make a difference. Yes. And you can do it Possibly. at music and theater. You know? You right, can say you it can. in a play. And you can say it in a song. You, are, you, are, you, are you both protesters? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess we are. You know, I used to, here's what I did a couple years ago when I was teaching at Ava. I was singing, Lift every voice and sing. Lift every voice and sing. And I said that was the African American song. And the kids looked at me like, why do we have to learn this? Because there's all, we didn't have any black kids there. I said, this is very important because this is Martin Luther Day and we don't want to ever forget this. And, and then I would play them the speech, Martin Luther's speech, and they, they liked it. And a few of the kids had just got it, and the rest of them just went over their head. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to, because we're all brothers and sisters and we're all going to like it. And, uh, 
well, most of them liked it, and they never would say anything because they know I'd get mad. <laughs> well, and I guess, you know, as a history professor, you can teach some of that, but this, a lot of the school districts would come down on you if you said, we're all going to learn this and be brothers and sisters together yeah. in a class. But in, in yeah. a music class, you can say that and say, we're all going to lift our voices together. Well, yeah, and, you know, you could, you could do a lot more with music teaching history mm-hmm. than a history teacher could if you were paying attention to what you were actually doing during the school year. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could give a good history lesson about things that people don't really feel comfortable actually talking about, but if you give it to them in music, mm-hmm. then they find out, oh, I like that. Oh, is that what it meant? And maybe you're planting some seeds of thought. Yes. I like that. Dangerous. Very well, it, well, dangerous. It wasn't very dangerous to us <laughs> teaching the no, kids. No, it wasn't. The, the parents didn't complain that they just... Uh, I know, I just mean through the years, you know. Um, it's and, and music, uh, like, music and, and, and poets and, and playwrights have, have always been like the dissidents, right? Uh-huh. And had to the be dreamers. careful about it, but they, they, they veil it and they, they put it out there. Sometimes yeah. it's just not blatant. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I think I think you you know when you have different ways that you approach things, uh, maybe passive, maybe aggressive, but uh, you know the kids have to know that there's other things going on besides my little world. We want to we want to do what I think is best, and. Uh, and we, no one wants to listen to anyone else. They want to do what they want to do. They want to be right. And uh, I don't know, you gotta think of other people. And that's what's been bothering me lately is I want people to think of other people because that's what we've been taught. You know, remember I told you that one time, no man is an island. That's one of the songs I learned in seventh grade, no man stands alone. Right. Each man, sh- I, did I sing it to you? You want me to sing it? No. <laughs> okay, never mind. If you want to. Okay. Anyway, no. that's, okay. you know, music. She, you wants want to me, go ahead? she wants me to sing it. No man is an island. No man stands alone. Each man's joy is joy to me. Each man's grief is my own. We need one another. So I will defend each man as my brother. Each, each man, man as my friend. friend. That's why we should love everybody. And... If you can't love everybody, adopt a cat. You know, we just rescued a cat. Shh. But we can't talk about that. Well, <laughs> when humans uh, fail, animals take up the slack. Talking to mom and dad has been a saving grace for me, and I really hope it helps you too. Thanks for joining us again. I'm not leaving on a jet plane. Okay, do you not want to now, sing that song with for the her? Virus the way it okay. is. <laughs> I wish we could leave on a jet plane and go fly to <laughs> New York and see you. Yes. Me, Me too. Me too. And you and Drew, I miss you guys so much. Miss and uh, you. I can't wait to. We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when, but we'll meet again some sunny day.